0: Pretty Good People Podcast. My name is Sean Donahue, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lee Brooks. Lee Brooks is a businessman, entrepreneur, and my former boss back home in Raleigh, North Carolina. Lee, uh, go ahead and take it away. Explain what you do, who you are, and where you're from. I got
1: you. First off, Sean, thanks for inviting me. Right? I mean, it's an honor considering how far we've come in our relationship. When I first met you about three years ago, to so now you're out in California doing this podcast. It says a lot about you. So continue to do great things. Uh, me personally, I'm, I'm a good old country boy trying to survive in this big world that we live in. Um, I've been very blessed, very fortunate to have and a, a great life, right? It's come with some hard work and some struggles, but hopefully I can have a good conversation with you, tell you a little about my past and what I've gone through, and more importantly, kind of what I'm looking forward to. And a good portion of that has always been for me, based in, in faith and having good people around me.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing about what you've been through, kind of where you are and where you're going. So yeah. let's, uh, let's take it back to your childhood, your youth. Where were you born? How was your childhood? Where were you raised? Things
1: of that. Nature. Yeah. So like I said, good old country boy, right? I was raised in a town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, a very small city called Shelby, North Carolina. So I literally spent the majority of my childhood in Shelby. Um, my situation, a little odd, I guess, in a way. My mom, loved her to death, had me out of wedlock, right? Dropped out of college to have me. So I was really raised in my formative years by my grandparents. But I remember, hard to believe, I remember my second birthday party. Really? All right. That, that's my earliest memory because I remember I got stung by a bee. <laughs> and I had on an old Charlie Brown, brown and yellow sweater. All right. And I tell people that and they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, I don't know. Right. But my my family will agree with that story. But from about six until I left to go to the army, I was raised by my grandparents. So they were two hardworking individuals that really worked in in textile mills around the around the area. So they worked on on rotating shifts. So on many occasions I was home alone. Right. Uh, You're a young guy. But back in the 70s and 80s. Right. We were called last key kids. no one was at home, but we had a key to get in the house. We had certain rules that we could and could not do. And I grew up being very kind of uh, self supporting, right? Um, cooked my own meals, cooked meals for them, washed my own clothes, did house chores. And that helped me a lot as I got older. But my childhood was not easy, but it wasn't hard, right? We, we didn't have a lot, but I never felt that I wanted for anything. Um, had a, a, a room right, in a house that my grandfather and grandparents were paying for, Um, you know, I had bikes at some points. I had a little mini bike that I used to love. I had shoes and clothes on my back, right, but I didn't know what they had to do to get that. I just knew that if I needed it, it was there, so although, once again, we didn't grow up wealthy, we, we were happy, And I I take that lesson today. I tell a lot of people that, and I'll talk a little bit about my personal life when I got divorced, how happiness will outweigh the the chase for wealth on any given day, right? But um, so up until 14 or 15, when I started thinking about what I'm going to do with my life, I, I worked. I started working, I think, at 11 at a paper route. Right, The first job in my paper route was about four miles from my house. So I used to have to ride my bike to do the paper route, especially on the holidays. Um, at school or after school, I used to get dropped off right at my paper route by the bus, do the paper route, and either walk home or get my grandmother to come pick me up. But from 11 till 14, paper route. Um, wow. And back in those days, it was like a little business, right? I feel like everybody
0: to- used to do paper route. Like every, like, not old person but like like when i talk to my dad like every yeah, wait, like wait, every wait, wait.
1: Adu-
0: <laughs> just call me old every adult that i know like a legitimate adult did a paper yeah. i feel like i swear every time they just say they did a paper out once in their life i remember mean, my dad told me the same thing he had a, he had a paper out in anderson indiana everybody
1: yeah
0: had just had a paper out well for many
1: and, and not to get sex right <laughs> but for many young men that was our first job um You know, they didn't have a lot of adults in cars throwing papers out a window. There was no, you know, emails or online newspapers at that time. So people really wanted to read it in black and white. And for the newspapers, what's best in cheap young labor? Um, We used to have to buy papers, right? So it was like your own business. You have to go in customers. You had to buy papers. You couldn't buy too many papers because if you had too much, you had inventory that you weren't getting paid for right so you had negative cash flow and then if you didn't buy enough you lost revenue opportunity because you might got that one guy that wanted to pay a quarter for a newspaper that you already allocated to the customer for 10 cents so you didn't have to pay it um but a lot of young well a lot of people my age right had paper outs and that was our first introduction to business but thanks for calling me old So around 14, though, because in the state of North Carolina, you can get a worker's permit at 14 and a half. I think mean, it was. Mm-hmm. So That was my first official W-2 kind of job. And I, uh, I washed dishes at a Holiday Inn. So I remember kind of like after school, it's only a couple of miles from my house. I ride my bike and I wash dishes, bus tables from like, you know, four until eight. Because um, I think you can only work three or four hours a day back in those days as a, as a student making get ready for this 265 $2. $2. an hour Jeez. was the minimum wage back in the day um so i'm not going to go through my whole background right because i could talk for a while about that i think that the biggest impact was my grandparents how they took care of me um instilled faith at a young age that i still fall back on today um i'm not a, a bible beating christian by any means but i am a believer and it helps guide my life so i think the most notable thing growing up was the world was bigger than me right there was more out there than me and having faith in something was better than having faith in nothing so that that helped me i mean growing up i was a happy kid right like i said earlier i didn't i didn't want or need for anything take that back I didn't need anything, but there were many things I wanted. Uh, When I turned 16, I wanted the 1987 Buick Grand National DNX. Oh, man. Yeah. I I tried to convince my grandfather to mortgage the house so we could buy one. (laughs) Right? Only if he would have listened to me now, because that car is worth probably a quarter of a million dollars. Um, But I would probably wrap it around the tree. Right? So um, around 15, 16 is when I started to think about what I'm going to do next. And for me, it was one of those things. I was not quite sure of, of what I wanted to do. Kind of ran into an army recruiter, and he gave me the spiel. And I opened up to him. My grandfather was in the army uh, in World War II. Actually, was did some pretty amazing things back in the time, um, especially being a young black man who was fourteen. This is your black, grandfather. Yeah, my grandfather, uh, Johnny Silas Brooks, Sr. He was 14, but as many people back in the day, he lied and said he was 16 or 17 so he could go in the army. So it's wow. funny. His birth certificate does not match up with his age. Right? He's, he's been dead for a while, so I can tell the story. right? Fake the birth certificate to get in. That's insane. He so could get money to take care of his family.
0: That I mean, they were just built completely different back then. I mean, they were, I mean, where people kind of run from the draft nowadays. It's just like I mean, people were just doing anything they could to get into the military back then because it was part of part of growing up as a man. Is you 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 grow up, you join the military, then you start life. Like that's just how things. Yeah, were.
1: you you do what you got to do to take care of your family. Like I said, with him being in Shelby, which was not you know a, a big robust, bustling economy, especially for African-Americans back in the, you know, you're talking in the 40s, give or take. Um, he felt the need to, to do something else and take care of his family. And uh, he did that. I think he did three tours wow. in World War II, right? Um, there were a couple medals associated with it. Um, he was just a remarkable guy. But he also taught me, you know, you, you got to take care of people that are close to you at all costs. Um, like I said, unfortunately, he died. It's probably been he died two months before I got married the first time. So back in 19, 1998, I think he passed away. Um, but I made the decision to kind of follow his footsteps, going to the to the army. And my intent was to kind of be the next Colin Powell, right? I wanted to go in at young age and, and be the Joint Chief of Staff and spend my time achieving the highest levels. Um, but I was at OCS, had an issue at a fairly young age, immaturity kicked in and realized that was not my career and decided to kind of flip the script and go to college. So I went to North Carolina state university, right? Go Wolfpack, (laughs) um, to hell to all those Carolina guys out there who just said, screw you Lee. Um, but that, that kind of helped transform me. Uh, When I was in the military, I was a combat engineer, right, Um, 12 Bravo, and got a chance to spend some time with some great people, Um, did some really awesome things. I think the biggest thing for me in the military, especially early on, was learning more about myself and my capabilities, all right, especially when you go through basic training and go through your advanced individual training or AIT, it, it, it stretches you if you're not used to it. So I got a chance to really kind of lost a lot of weight, got kind of buff, right? So physically it helped out when you're running pretty much everywhere you go. But, you know, rappelling down 50 foot towers and going over rope swings that are 50, 75 feet in the air, right? things that you just never would imagine yourself doing, builds up a level of of confidence. And the other is camaraderie, right? I do not keep in contact with any people that I went to basic training with, right? You're talking 40 years ago, give or take, but I remember them, right? I can tell you their, their last name. I can tell you their personalities because you spend eight weeks together, just going through potentially one of the worst and yet best experiences you could ever have in life. Uh, We had this one guy as a black guy from Mississippi, his name was Joker. And Joker always did cadence because he could sing, right? Um, And we called him Joker because he always, always wanted to make people laugh. He was always (laughs) talking trash. He was always kind of playing the dozens, right? He was just (laughs) aggravating, but yet you love to be around the guy. Um, But he kind of told me a story, like, towards the end of it, and dirt poor growing up. When I say dirt poor, outhouse dirt poor, in wow. the late eighties, wow, right? And it helped put that experience in perspective because I immediately kind of thought about my grandfather, right? Meaning that he came from a place where he didn't have a lot of opportunity and saw the military as a way to better himself and his family. And I, I learned a lot from him and I he earned my respect even before we got into a little altercation, <laughs> right? Which happens. Um, I think it, it gave me, once again, that confidence as well as building that camaraderie with your team and with your the, the people you go through basic training with. Um, first day at basic training is probably one of the scariest things, right, that I've gone through just because it's the unknown. You got people yelling at you. You're looking around. You got this group of people that are all kind of like, yeah, <laughs> wide-eyed and, and somewhat worried and you can't really gain any any solace with them because you don't know them, right? Yeah. You're looking at them and you're trying to still be hard and you're sitting there about to cry <laughs> and, and everything else. And then, you know, that last day of basic training, you're, you're just attacking everything, right? Drill Sergeant says, hey, hit the hit the hill, which is where we did push-ups. And everybody, yeah, Drill Sergeant, and we run out there, you knock out 50 or 60 push-ups. You find yourself coming back, hugging on each other, knowing that, hey, this is potentially the last time I'm going to see this person. Oh, man. So it helped not only define me mentally and more confident, it also taught me the lessons of, of good relationships, right? And the impact that you can have on people as well as the impact people can have on, on you. Um, in the military, you'll hear people talk about it all the time, right? That's my brother. That's my sister. It's not blood brother, but it becomes a very brother like relationship or family type relationship because you in some cases have gone through a lot with this person even when I got to my duty station it was one of those things where you just you 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 go down range with people and they become that person because your life depends on things that they do as well as vice versa and there is something about seeing someone not make it that puts a different perspective on life. In oh, general. sure.
0: I mean, I can't even imagine what that must be like.
1: Yeah, especially when you knew it It, it, it could have been you, right? Yeah. I think that's when you, when you see all these movies and all that other stuff, there's probably 10%, maybe 20% truth in it, right? But there's been times that people break down and just start crying. There's been times, you know, people beg for their mom. Right, right. There's been times where, you know, you just see something that you never, ever thought you would see, but then you get back and you're literally shaking and you got your bud comes up and says, dude, you good? All right. And you go, like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And you could sit there and talk to them and explain it. And, and they do it because they know. Right. And and that's something that not a lot of people can say they they've gone through. But it does help, once again, you look for those long-term relationships. You look for those in-depth relationships that are like brothers. You can tell a brother anything and not be judged. They might comment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? But they're not going to say, oh, man, you're the worst human being ever. <laughs> right? Hey, what you did was stupid. Yeah. Go, go, go make it right. And then move forward, all right. So, I could give you a couple of stories there, but we'll, we'll kind of move on if you like to, to something else.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. I really en- enjoy your insight on your military experiences and wh- how that yeah. shaped you. And going also back to your childhood, how growing up with your grandparents rather than you know, mom or dad, it's not something that every kid goes through. I mean, I'd say like at 80% of kids out there have um, i mean at one point had a mom or a dad but just you know growing up with grandparents it's a it's a different story and then uh it was very interesting and uh i kind of want to go back to the your childhood mm-hmm. and ask you one just one question um if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice as a kid what w- what would that
1: advice be if I were to be completely open with you on that question, I, I think I would go back and say the world does not revolve around me, <laughs> right? So I think as a kid, I, being raised by my grandparents, I still had a great relationship with my mom, right? So don't think she was not in the picture. She was no, yeah. she Was there the whole way. And, and um, I just made a decision at a young age. She lived in Silver Spring, Maryland. I didn't want to live there. I want to live in Shelby. Right. So I moved back down. and My grandparents actually adopted me. I think I was like 11 or 12. And I consider that home. But my mom has always been in my life. She's always been great. And today she's probably like, she's, she's my girl. Like my mom, my grandmother's still alive. She's 94 in in a week, actually. And and my mom just turned 70, but like, she's my ride or die. So I I, I remember like, meeting her, her once.
0: I think she came to the shop
1: once. She so, did. She did. She I came mean, to the shop yeah. with my stepfather, right? Both yeah. freaking amazing people. But I, I would say that the world does not revolve around me, right? As a kid, I, I was not a spoiled brat by no means. But being a latchkey kid, kind of doing things on my own and kind of setting my own cadence did give me a perspective of, hey, I control it, right? Because I did. Mm -hmm. But when you're around a bunch of people, and they have opinions, it's, it's, it can be challenging, right? Hey, I want to go left, I want to go right, well, screw you, we're going left, because I said go left, but I really want to go right, right? That Mm -hmm. compromise piece of it was difficult for me, then, because I was left alone so much and i did things on my own that i felt like hey it's it's my way or the highway right so i think going back and saying hey you are part of a bigger thing not just your world it's important for you to know that and i don't think i learned that until probably i got out of the military and started to go to college to be honest with you
0: i think that's something that a lot of people would go back and tell their earlier selves is the world doesn't revolve around you because when you're 13, 14, 15, kind of growing up in the world, you, a lot of, I feel like almost every single teenager feels that way of just, Hey, I'm the center of the world. Everything goes around me. So I think that's a really good uh, piece of advice. Um, now going back to NC state, mm-hmm. uh, we kind of briefly touched on that. Why don't you kind of go in more depth as to which what, what your degree was, how you did, what your experience was at NC State, and so yeah. on and so forth.
1: So kind of growing up, right, I'd tell a little bit, I really wanted to be an attorney, all right? I'm, I'm going to show my age again, but I remember watching a show called Perry Mason on TV. It in like the 1930s? It, it's from like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Think, right? <laughs> they were still doing reruns when I was a kid, and, and Perry Mason was the attorney, and he had his buddy, I think, Paul Drake, who was kind of his investigator, and He cracked every case right at the end, right? And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a trial attorney and win every case. And I started talking to attorneys. And I go, okay, I don't want to be an attorney, (laughs) right? Um, But I always found myself tinkering on stuff and taking it apart, trying to put it back together. and, And I got into engineering. So my degree when I went to state was actually going to be aerospace engineering. I wanted to fly, right? And then I wanted to design rockets helicopters etc um but after about a year i realized aerospace engineering is it's kind of geekish like that's that's you got to be smart right you got to be like super smart you got to be
0: wicked smart i have a friend yeah, who I, I was just smart aerospace. i wasn't
1: super smart you know what i mean so i'm like this is not for me so i ended up getting a degree in mechanical engineering
0: um, Which is still very but, notable for no, yeah. I mean that's what they're known for is their their staff yeah. programs, but mostly their engineering programs.
1: Yeah, at one point I think they were like top seven. All right. I don't know where they are today, but I still think they're they're pretty high. Um so but for me, college, when I first got to college, so imagine this. Out of the military, got a couple dollars, lost a couple pounds in pretty good shape, right? I've been certain places in the world. So for me, the first year and a half of college was meeting people, all right? That's code for hanging out and partying. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, was, I was working the social scene in college, right? I've always been able to talk to people regardless of whatever your background is. And I was leveraging the crap out of that, <laughs> right? Um, until I remember I got a call from a mom. She goes, hey, there's a letter here for you that came from school you want me to open? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right. Open it up. And it was actually an academic probation letter. No way. Yeah. I mean, I I think I had like a two, one. Right. And, um, I remember I, I, this is one thing I regret saying to my mom, right. She's like, yo, boy, you need to get your stuff together. (laughs) And, and I remember like, mom, well, you know, you're not paying for it. So what are you worried about it? And, uh, she made it clear our father or our, our mother-son relationship,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Basically, there was nothing that would keep her from coming to Raleigh and putting and <laughs> <home laughs> right? in, 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 in not so many words is what she said. Yeah. And I realized that I was kind of letting her down, but also I was letting my grandparents down. I was letting my aunts and uncles down, all these people that helped me kind of get to where I was open to go to, I realized I was doing them a disservice by hanging out so much. Um, so I started to bear down. Right. I think I ended up graduating with like a 3.0 or 2.9. Um, that last year, I think I had to pull a 3.7 to graduate. Right. Wow. That's like yeah. My core classes. So I was able to, to knock that out, graduated with a BS in mechanical engineering, but I've never really had an engineering job in my life um the reason i did it was because it is a good basic degree that's applicable across many things but it teaches you how to think Mm -hmm. right Uh, it teaches you seven steps of problem solving it teaches you some of the, the you know thermodynamics it teaches you a lot of stuff that can be applicable across multiple things what i took from it was the world does not revolve around just process there are people associated with that process, so you have to be good at both. All right. Um, I remember we had to do a senior project for G facility. We had to make a like a riveting machine, or we had to make a better process for them to attach panels by rivet. And me and my group designed this like automatic riveting machine. <laughs> And it was it was CNC driven, I mean it was freaking. What awesome. year was this? This was 1993.
0: Wow, right? That's pretty advanced technology for back in 19. 19- well, I mean that's still like a, not new technology, but up and coming. So back in 1993, that's I mean I'm sure that's
1: oh uh, we had screw uh, screwdriver or screw screw driven uh, screw driven motors all nine yards, mm-hmm. but we had an older guy who had gone to school at like AB tech for a couple of years up in Asheville. Right. So he had to connect with some of the, the software programming. Right. So we, we got that for free. I called around to like home depots and I got free riveting <laughs> machines. Right. Told him about the project and how we would do this other stuff. And, you know, we had free use of the, the, the CNC machines at, at the one guy's job. So, we leveraged everything that we had, and we made this kick-ass machine. And we just knew we were going to win. We, we presented it right; it worked freaking flawlessly. And we're like, "We're winning!" And I remember they said, "It's a little too complicated for our process," <laughs> right? Wow. And and we were all like, "What the f? Like, <laughs> Look at I, it! Yeah, like, yeah, like, literally." And then, so I think we had to show it like on a Tuesday. And that weekend, I had a Mazda pickup truck. Me and Paul, one of the guys on the team, loaded that up because we couldn't get the program to work. Mm. Drove it to Asheville to meet with the professor at AB Tech. Got it working, drove it back like Sunday, and then presented it on Tuesday, right? So we were like, this is going to work. And, uh, and we didn't win, and we were pissed. So um, once again, kind of going back to it, what I take away from it is, we had the process, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think what we took into account was listening and understanding the impact on the people. Right. So they were looking for a solution, but they weren't looking for a fully automated solution. But no. we didn't hear that. We didn't ask the right questions. We You're didn't just really too
0: ahead of the time. Say again? You're just too ahead of the time. Well now that's all they want.
1: Now that's all they want. If we were to do it 10 years ago, we would have won. I think if you won, you got like I want to say it was like 50 bucks a person. That's pretty good. Especially in the, in the early 90s, that was yeah. like a quarter of my rent. So yeah. yeah. Um, but like I said, kind of like ending the college experience, uh, I, I learned that you gotta you gotta know the basis, you gotta have the process stuff. But people and building relationships and things of that nature is critical for you to succeed. But part of that is you gotta listen to people. All right. you, you can't hear them, you gotta listen to what they're telling you and what they're asking of you to really form that bond in that relationship. So those were a couple key takeaways, Um, but I worked my way through college, right? The GI Bill and then odd jobs. I remember one, I had a work study and my job was cleaning out poop out of the chicken coops where they were doing (laughs) testing and escape. Saturday morning, like three or four hours. Oh boy, right? I can imagine Just fresh yeah. Saturday morning. Chippen. Oh yeah, it was it was it was funky, but you know what? I, I did it because once again I didn't want to let my family down. Mm-hmm. So given the sacrifices that they had made, um when I say sacrifice and not to go down this path, you gotta remember my grandparents born in 20 something, raised in Shelby. Not, yeah. In the 40s, 50s, 60s. I remember, and I think I've told you this before, right? I remember we used to have KKK rallies in downtown Shelby. So that you're I was born in 71. Absolutely insane. Yeah, so you're talking late 70s, early 80s, right? And it will it literally it's like what's the quarter. You'd go down and you'd see these people literally in their sheets going around the courthouse, chanting there or whatever. You'd have people on the side of the street watching them, some agreeing, some not. The key thing was for me, I wasn't scared, right? Um, I don't frighten easy. And I think I get that from my grandfather. I never saw him scared, except when he kind of had some medical issues, right? I could see it in his eyes. But he told me or my grandmother, one of them kind of said, that person's no better than you are. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a lesson I've take with me even to this day. I got five or six key tenants, and I'll go over them with the life that I live by. But one, one of them is nobody's any better or worse than I am. I try to treat everybody the same. So a, a janitor in in a McDonald's, I'm gonna treat him like the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. Because you don't know that guy's story. Exactly. All right. So, in that situation, back to the KKK, that person or those people were no better or worse than I am. I didn't agree with what they're saying, but I'm not going to let how they say or what they say dictate me, because I know I'm pretty know my worth, right? But that was something my grandfather or grandmother can't remember told me that sticks with me today.
0: That's extremely powerful to to have that mindset, especially in that time period when most people are retaliating and thinking of revenge and different things where you you look at it as a perspective as you know although yeah. i don't agree with them it's yeah. they're a person too and they have an opinion yeah. i don't agree with it but and that's a very powerful yeah. thing to to do
1: well you know if you recall it our shop right so Raleigh speed shop great place to work <laughs> i said have put my colors on but yeah you should put your shirt on man a quick plug right so we, we we build restore classic cars But you know, our our family, because we are a little family there, we're dysfunctional to crap, but we're family, (laughs) we don't see eye to eye on certain things, right? Most of those guys are hardcore conservative, and I'm kind of middle of the road liberal, but we get along because we see each other for who we are, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like the example I gave you about the KKK, but we're an example of you can have different views but still love and care for each other. Uh, we went to lunch today and we were talking about some of the recent laws that have passed. And uh, One of the guys that talked about, it, I think that there was a trial record, uh, uh, an overview of the capital trial tonight, I think on television. And, you know, they were saying how it was justified and it was no one's fault, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, well, let's look at right and wrong right they were right to have a form to present their displeasure right that everybody's got the right to that i go but it was wrong when they went inside the cap
0: are you talking about storming the cat like when they stormed yeah the Capitol? yeah was yeah sorry january yeah january 6th yeah whatever. january
1: the 6th right and i go that was that was wrong and they're like well if you see the videos they, the police let them in, right? I go, mm-hmm. but they didn't have to go, yeah, right? Yeah. If that was the case, because you're looking at one portion of the media, right? And I'm sure the opposite is true on the opposite side. I go, they made a choice to break the law. Yeah. So at that point, that is wrong. So they took something that was good and turned it into something bad. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys said, well, what about Black Lives Matter? And I go, it's the same to me right he was given an example about in minnesota i guess it was that the night before everything took place there were stacks of bricks delivered to the city right and black lives matter and others were using these bricks to throw to the police and everything else i have no idea if that's fact or fiction right Mm -hmm. and i go so same situation what they did they had every right to get out there and talk and and give their voice their opinion but As soon as somebody picked up a brick and used it, it doesn't matter how the brick got there. It's the fact that they used it, right? They made a choice to break the law.
0: Yeah, the person who drove said brick there made a choice. The person who picked up the brick made the choice. And the person who chose not to pick up the brick also made a choice.
1: Absolutely. And, And that's another lesson. Like I said, there's five or six tenants that I live by. I gave you one. The other is, you know, right's right, wrong is wrong. I don't care what side of any argument you're on. There is normally a basic decency baseline in there somewhere, right? Where you know in your heart it's wrong. Yeah. You got to just go with that, right? Get all the politics and personal prejudice out of the way. Um, and I'm not going to get into politics, but there are some examples out there today right where i think we all agree certain things are wrong and we should just say that yeah and we don't
0: i think there's a lot of fear not i mean not to touch on politics but i think there is a lot of fear of voicing your opinion nowadays because everything's very dramatized oh, yeah. and you know people feel as if they'll be shunned for voicing mm-hmm. their opinion where back then it it was not as frowned upon to say what you how you felt and yeah. about a certain thing and now it's just so people don't have uh, nowadays just aren't voicing their opinions and it's a yeah it's a, and, and, a and if issue. they
1: and if they are sometimes they're going with what's the general consensus rather than what they truly believe
0: yeah independent right. thought is at like an all-time low is kind of what it feels like
1: yeah I, I agree and once again not to go too far off the script it, it kind of goes back to you, you nobody's any better or worse than me right so if someone wants to question what i say or or not that's their ability they have that right to and as a leader i can give you great examples of how i utilize that right to help grow teams but if you say something kind of disrespectful you say something wrong then it's our job to call it out and Mm -hmm. i think that's where we've gotten away to your point people don't want to say what's right or wrong Because they're afraid of getting ostracized or or shunned or blackballed, whatever term you want to use. It's just one
0: giant bystander effect is what it feels like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and those who are, you know, stepping up and saying the things, I think are sometimes not doing it for genuine reasons. All right. I mean, you got people on both sides, these pundits that say these outlandish things because they get paid. Mm-hmm. right rather than kind of going is what i'm saying really adding value to the world or not yeah i'm sorry we're getting off topic No, no us <laughs> yes. get back on
0: uh yeah um so let's kind of touch back to to now what yeah. are you yeah. currently doing now i know you said raleigh speed shop um but is there anything else you have going on
1: etc yeah. I mean, I got a couple of things. So I've been, you know, an operator working in, in corporate America for, I don't know, 25 years, give or take. Um, but this past May, I decided to kind of be a, a, a serial entrepreneur. So I've always dipped my toe in some things, uh, real estate in the past. you mentioned, or I mentioned Riley speed shop. That was a company I bought into three or four years ago. Um, but now I've kind of done full-time since June of 2022. Um, so I'm working at Raleigh Speed Shop still, really trying to grow and improve you know, our margins there. But I've, I've also started going into some commercial real estate. So some small uh, business ventures, small uh, offices and things of that nature, refurb and, and leasing those out. And I've also started my own um, executive recruiting firm, right? Uh, FPC of Creedmoor, which is part of the Fortune Personnel Consultants fans nice. so those are thank you i appreciate it um it's taking me back though to have to grind right when you get at a certain level in corporate america you have people do things for you so mm-hmm. you're the visionary guy you're the guy forming the strategy and 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 driving the processes when you kind of go back to step zero you're the guy doing everything
0: mm-hmm.
1: All right? so i got to get that hustle spirit back that i had 25 years ago Yeah.
0: One thing I definitely respect about you is stepping outside. You're, you're an individual who oftentimes steps outside their comfort zone and willing to take those calculated risks. Although they are risks, you are very methodical about the way you think about them. And, uh, it has shown time and time again, that you are a strong entrepreneur and a strong businessman and that the things that you've learned throughout your past definitely show through you. And, today and um
1: yeah it i'm really excited yeah. to see where well you get you thank you funny you bring that up because you got to kind of wants to get lee brook's life lesson number you know, <laughs> three they're not in order We're right to get them all down yeah yeah i think we are of course, <laughs> life is, is meant to be lived mm-hmm. right i mean i've i've jumped out on faith a couple of times where I, i've left an opportunity because it just didn't feel right anymore Without maybe having another one, but in those times I've taken advantage of it, right? I mean, I've got a chance to, to, to visit Cuba, like, fly into Cuba, not do the boat <laughs> thing, but fly into Cuba. Um, whenever Obama lifted out, I think in 2016, I think it was, um, I was on like the third direct flight from Charlotte, and and it was funny. I think there were seven people on my on my plane. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the way down it was seven people. And I remember that because we just eventually got together like, you know, in our three or four rows and just started talking. Right. The The flight attendants, there were two or three of them. They came out. We were all just kind of having, not the flight attendants, but we were having some drinks and we were, why are you here? First time. And it was, it, it almost felt like spring break. Right. Man, that's you know, crazy. Like, yeah. And on the way back, it was like 12. And probably three out of the seven or three out of the seven that I went down with were part of the 12, right? So I was in Cuba for three weeks. Um, I took another opportunity and spent three weeks in Costa Rica, you know, a few years before that. But I I do kind of cherish that we're put on this world to live and experience it, not just to work all the time. All right. Part of that is meeting people from different cultures. Uh, Part of it is trying to help them but also maybe helping yourself become a better person. Um, so don't know what my next adventure is gonna be, right? Outside of the US or outside of my comfort zone. But right now starting this build business is, is it. Um, in addition, I got a 17 year old son, right? Really? Who, who actually right now is in Tanzania for a, a future Doctors Abroad program. Really? yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: and you haven't seen him in a while but he's probably taller than you oh man that's insane yeah so um part of my life right now is to make sure that i can give him the best opportunity to succeed in life without showing him that it's easy and that's that's a balance that i struggle with but you know that's what i'm doing now um a day in the life of Lee Brooks, I try to get up around 6 o'clock, 6.30. Um, three days out of a week, I go for a walk to start the day, All right. I got a little three mile kind of cycle of track around my house and it, it helps me kind of center myself for the day, right? Um, those days that I'm not walking, I probably sleep in more than I should, right? <laughs> so I get up, I kind of plan out my day and that plan could be, you know, here are six things that I got to get done today. Or in, in part of this business, right, a lot of it's calling and looking for clients. So I got a list of about 1,100 people that over the next 30 days, I'm like, I'm going to call each and every one of them and try to convince them they should use FPC, Creedmore for their recruiting efforts. So that's three or four hours in a given day trying to get through 30, 40 calls. Um, I try to take a lunch. I learned early on that if I don't get away from something, I get agitated towards the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Right? So I I do try to take a good 45-minute lunch where I I unplug from that task at the day. Um, Right now, a lot of my time outside of that is spent working refurbishing, you know, the current office building that I'm working on. So pretty hands-on working with the GC on that. Been doing a lot of work myself around the place right now. So probably two or three hours, three days, four days a week. I'm doing that. Um, Tuesday, Thursday, right. A couple of days a week I'm at Raleigh speed shop. Uh, I was there today. So still trying to help that business do well, but a day in the life for me is is pretty challenging, pretty busy, but Sounds I do like take it. a little time for myself.
0: As you should. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of want to touch back on that stepping out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. segment and, uh, kind of bring up the fact that as, as we mentioned earlier, that I used to work at Raleigh speed shop and how I've recently moved out to California, but I, I found myself kind of facing that challenge myself where I, I was very comfortable at Raleigh speed shop. I love the guys I work. I, I, I really do till the day I die. I love Raleigh speed shop. And the, one of the hardest things that I've had to do so far in my life is leave that experience, pick up and move somewhere unknown where I, I don't know anybody out here and just to to better myself because I knew that coming out here it, it was going to be a challenge you don't have friends on the road you don't have family down the road it's if something comes up you've got to figure it out yourself and I've been very fortunate to be able to make this move but uh, I mean t- stepping out of the comfort zone is something that has also been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because I've grown and I'm, I'm getting these new experiences that uh, I'm very fortunate to have, but most people who never step outside their comfort zone and face those challenges never get to have. So.
1: I yeah. Mean, I got my, my, my cousin, right. Um, my wife's cousin, right. But my cousin now, cause we're married. Mm-hmm. He's staying with us and he's from Shelby. And we had a conversation about that tonight about, you know, it's bigger than where you're from was kind of the, the topic, right? And part of that was stepping out of your comfort zone, not only in business, but also personal, right? It's mm-hmm. talking about, I want to get some land and move back to Shelby. I'm like, why Shelby? Um, in my career, I think I've moved seven times, give or take three times of those have been on my own, right? After my divorce and to your point, walking out on faith, man, walking out, in a, something that you, you an unknown. I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Cedar Falls, Iowa. Um, my son was five years old at the time, but I just felt like it was the right thing for me to do then. So never be afraid to, to do that. Never be afraid to try to broaden your horizon in, either in a new job or a new location or even a new country. Um, you'll be more you be more well-rounded as a person, but equal is important, it will kind of make you thirsty yeah. for more and want to do it again and do something else. And don't get pigeonholed in that little box that you grew up in, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I'm a small-town boy from Shelby, North Carolina. I think I added it up. I've been to 38 countries.
0: Holy crap.
1: Right? Um, I've had a number of different jobs, I've made a great salary, right? Uh, I'm comfortable in life and I've done and experienced things that I've never thought I would experience before. And, you know, if this was a different type of show, I'd tell you about some of those things and you'd be like, oh, what? <laughs> right? Um, but with that though, has, there, there has come some, some failures. Um, I think for me, my biggest one was, you know, my divorce. It just wrecks you as a person. Um, and, and I look back at that and go, I learned so much from it, but it's a crappy experience and I wish on no one. Right. But any setback or failure, the key thing is you got to learn from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew as a person from that. I think I had some flaws that I was able to outline, understand, and fix that made me a better partner, right. For the person I'm married to today but in in life you're always going to have setbacks and you know people always tell you it's not how many times you fall it's how many times you get up Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) right i i think it's you know what are you learning when you're getting up to prevent you from falling again that's the important part that's the important part right if you don't learn from it it was a wasted opportunity that you're probably bound to repeat so For me, that was my biggest failure. That was the lesson I took from it though, was once again, learn from it, move forward. Um, I'm gonna transition a little bit now to the career, I think. My biggest failure in my career was early on not understanding the importance of being a good team leader. Um, I focused a lot on output rather than how we got there. I wanted the teams that I led to be the best. And I felt that they were the best because I was there helping them out. And I had an experience when I left like my first real corporate job to to move actually with my ex-wife. And I was torn up about it. I was really like, this place will die if I'm not here, right? (laughs) And my my general superintendent said, Lee, close your eyes. Like, whatever, man. Did the whole close my eyes. He goes, put your hand in a bucket of water. I'm like, okay, I got it. He goes, pull your hand out. Does it leave a hole? I'm like, no. He goes, in a nutshell, that's life. You might think you're important, but life will move on without you. Know that mm-hmm. and live your life. All right. And and that was one of those things where I said earlier, right? Life is to be lived. I got that from that guy. Uh, it's,
0: it's, it's great having mentors like him and me having a mentor like you. <clears throat> Or to teach us those lessons that are yet to be learned um through experiences that somebody else has had that you haven't and so yeah having somebody like what you said and how you I mean you coming on this podcast and not only speaking to me but speaking to the audience that I don't really have but I'd like to think I have but you're growing that yeah my growing my growing audience but coming on here and you know speaking with everybody and sharing your experiences it's it's a it's part of human nature um to grow adapt and communicate and uh, i really do appreciate you coming on here and sharing that experience i think I mean,
1: yeah and i gotta tell you like when you you told me about it and why you were coming to california i, I think i was telling roger that dude do it yeah all right now I was definitely not happy that you were leaving because you put us in a bad situation. But I looked at what it was gonna do for you. And you know, you went from being, don't take it the wrong way, the kid, right? And Raleigh, <laughs> now you're doing your own thing out in California. Who would have thought that four years ago? Not me yeah.
0: at all. At yeah, but at like,
1: continue to chase the experiences, man, because right, Lee Brooks tenant number four. I want to be the grandfather that tells my grandkids all the stuff I did. Not all the things I wish I would have done. Yeah. All right. So to do that, you got to freaking get out in the world. Um, part of that getting out in the world has been for me in, in a lot of corporate America. So one of the things I think, you know, you'd kind of asked me to talk about was what I've learned in corporate America, what I learned in my career. And it, it goes back to, to, to fairness, as I said earlier, or good, right is right, wrong is wrong. Part of that is fairness, right? You got to be fair with people. If they're doing well, no, if they're not doing well, let them know. When you don't do that, you mislead them, which leads to a bad situation, Mm -hmm. right? You might have underperformers that think they're doing a great job and they're not, and you cut them. They're upset because they don't know why they were cut. Right. Or you might have people that are doing great and you don't tell them and they leave because they think they're an underperformer. So being able to communicate that and being fair to people is critical. And part of that being fair to people helps you establish good teams. So I think if I look at it, the most valuable thing kind of goes back to what I said when I was a kid. The world does not revolve around me. It takes a team of people to kind of do things. So the lesson that I've kind of passed to you and, and everybody else, be fair with the people around you, but look to build that team but build it in fairness. Even in your personal relationships, right? Be fair. If you got a guy that's your best friend, but he's out there screwing up, I think it's your job to tell him, hey, man, I love you like a brother, but you're screwing up, right? Mm -hmm. But if he's doing a great job, it's also your job to let him know he's doing a great job and to continue to push him to expand. Similar to what I did to you, man. I mean, I don't think I told you this, but I love you, right? You're, You're part of the the Raleigh Speed Shop family, and I want you to do freaking awesome things. Uh, when you left, I was excited for you. <laughs> genuinely excited and happy about that opportunity that you had. And I think you're still just on the verge of it, man. And I told you this before, if there's anything that you need from me that I can help you with that, because my most notable success in life is like the people I've helped and seeing them do good right? And not from a a selfish perspective, because I don't I don't care. It's not like I'm getting a kickback, right? <laughs> yeah. But watching them do well, and knowing that I may add add a little bit to do with it, has been the most rewarding thing other than watching my kid grow up.
0: It's the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at you like, man, I want to see you in 10 years. I want to see you in 15 years, right? And be able to look back and see whatever you're doing, like a, I remember we used to call him the kid (laughs) in Raleigh Speed Shop. And I'm not going to give an example of where you screwed up, but when he (laughs) did that and look where he is now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't say enough good words about Raleigh Speed Shop and the guys and ownership. I mean, to have the owner or in my position, my boss say, no, leave, go, take on that opportunity. It's it's not common to find some like you know most people would say f off you know yeah you're leaving and it's 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 been a, a huge supporting factor in my life having people like you Don and the guys at Raleigh Speed Shop. I mean, I still talk to all the guys back because it it really was a family and having those relationships. I mean, I'll keep I'll cherish those for life. So, I mean, yeah, all all the great things come from great people
1: like you yeah. said and uh... yeah absolutely and and kind of as i transition to what i'm going doing next i think the fear of starting a new business keeps people at bay right mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate enough to have you know some financial cushion right meaning that it didn't have to kick off right away the the thing i will tell people is be smart about what you want to do. Meaning that we all have these grandiose ideas, but the ideas without a plan are just ideas. So put a plan together, but try to make it around something that you want to do um, and that you love to do. So with me and FBC Creedmore, right, the executive recruiting search firm, I love people to be matched up with what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So being a former hiring manager, I know what people are looking for. Being a, a formal candidate, I know what it feels like to look for a job, but now me being able to bring those two pieces together and make both parties happy or excited is, is something I like to do. I was doing it for free before. Now I can potentially get paid for it. So it was, it was good for me, but don't just have an idea. Put a plan behind it, and it's great if it's something that you really care about. So, for those out there who are thinking about what do I want to do or how do I start a business, get the idea, write a plan. It did not have to be a fourteen-page detailed plan, but put you know some tangible next steps in place. And then, as a benefit, have it be something you really love that you'd almost do for free.
0: Yeah, yeah. that is an amazing insight. And uh, kind of touching back on episode three of this with Zach we talked about NC State and how tying how you went to NC State, the the motto, I don't know if it was when you went there, but think and do is kind of their, their saying, and, you know, there's a portion that you do with thinking and planning, and then as equally as important is doing it and taking that first step to growing a successful business or whatever you want to
1: do absolutely i mean my my long-term goal and this is going to be very generic is to continue to live my life um i'd love to retire in the next five or six years i was talking to tracy my wife i'm like i want to get one of those winnebago mercedes (laughs) sprint vans right that's an rv and just travel i mean take that puppy from freaking alaska down to down to brazil right that would be so cool go um right it's a long ass drive but you do it over three years Mm -hmm. right and you just learn new things and you you pick up new experiences along the way and hopefully don't get killed by the cartel right (laughs) but um just really experience this big beautiful country but then get outside of it um i'd love to go work abroad somewhere but at the end of the day not only do i want that for myself and my family but I, I wanna be able to set my son up, right? With some baselines of generational wealth. That's something that we, especially in the black community, don't talk about enough, right? Cause we're struggling sometimes at how we're gonna get the meal next week. Mm-hmm. But I, I really wanna be able to provide opportunities for you know, my grandkids to be able to do whatever the heck they wanna do and not feel the pressure of how am I gonna you know pay rent next month? So a lot of what I'm doing right now I think we'll set them up for that going forward and they can get a little bit more of a a head start than I had, which is what my grandparents did for me. And I think going back to my grandfather, right? That's what we're supposed to do is to take care of each other so that people don't have to stress over the little stuff so they can be better people tomorrow. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that is a super respectable output um, as to, to provide for your family like that. I mean, I I, I kind of feel that same way with my, my father doing things for me. It's, it's mm-hmm. such a powerful thing to it's, it's, I mean, aside from the ultimate sacrifice, I mean, it is a huge sacrifice to, to do that and to, to plan your life around somebody else mm-hmm. is it's, it takes a lot. And, um, Fine, you're
1: you're going to experience this one day, Sean, and I think regardless of what country you're in or what culture you're in, parents want their kids to be better than they are. And you're willing to make sacrifices to do so. Think about your father. Think about your grandfather. Right? I remember we used to talk about how he started the paint shop and the name of it and everything. Right? And imagine what sacrifices he had to go through for your father right? And, and now imagine the, what you're going to do for your son or daughter whenever you have them. Doesn't matter where you're from. Every generation wants the generation after them to be better. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our charge in life is, is to set them up. That's one of the biggest motivations that I have is how do I continue to make life easier for, for my family and for people that you know I, I mentor And honestly, for anybody who wants to do better, um, one of the biggest things that really pisses me off is when people have the opportunity, but they waste it,
0: Mm.
1: right? Because there are so many people out there that are hungry, that are smart, that have the drive and determination, but just never get that opportunity. And they end up, dead or in prison or in, impoverished or whatever the case may be because they didn't have that one opportunity but when people have multiple opportunities and keep throwing them away and keep wasting them that upsets me so i think if i look at it like this is not a life lesson or anything of that nature right from the webrook seven <laughs> it's, it's it's don't blow those opportunities because you don't they're not promised mm-hmm So if you get one, like you did moving to Cali, do it. If you fail, guess what? Learn from it and be better the next time, but never stop trying.
0: Yeah, we're going to, we definitely have to get a book of the Lee Brooks seven at some point, because that that would be, I'm sure those are like the seven commandments or whatever the 10 commandments. It's like you got to have like the, the Lee Brooks seven version
1: I, hey, I, I, do have, I, I do have for business, right? I called it the, the stag principle, right? I made it up like 10 years ago, but I apply it everywhere I go. And it's, it's not the stag party or anything of that nature, right? But it's S-T-A-G. You got to have a good strategy, the S. T, you got to have the right toolkit, right? To get it done. A is action. You got to have the right action plan. And G is governance. You got a way to, to monitor those action plans. If you can do those four things really well, you're gonna succeed in anything you wanna do in life. Right? So once again, go to back to what we talked about. You got an idea, that's kind of your strategy, right? To accomplish that strategy, you're gonna need some sort of tool. It's a process, it's a software, it's something, right? But then without the action, you're just gonna be an idea, it's gonna to go to waste. And if you don't have that governance, which in some cases business is gonna be your monthly PL, right? in your monthly meetings but if you don't have that governance model to keep you on pace it'll also fail but if you do those four things well the nearly impossible to screw up yeah.
0: i'll have to that's definitely gonna stay in my notes permanently i'm gonna i'm gonna try to apply that to my life um yeah. I, I think that is a very good way to look at things
1: yeah I know, I know. I've taken a lot
0: of time, but I can talk. Oh, no. you know that. Yeah, you're, this I'm is this has been pop- an amazing podcast.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, how do you want to close it? What else you got?
0: Um, I mean, I, I think we kind of touched on everything that I wanted to to kind of know about your past, your military experience, your college, your now, mm-hmm. your then. Um. I'd like to kind of just close it on the, the main question that really ties with the name of this podcast is the question being what makes you a pretty good person?
1: So I mean, that in that and of itself is, is an interesting question, right? <laughs> um, I think I am a good person. I still do bad things, right? But I like to say that those the good things outweigh the bad uh, to answer that question. I think you'd have to ask the people around me. Right. So I'm going to just, I guess, answer myself, and it's going to probably sound somewhat conceited. Um, What makes me a good person? I I put others before me most of the time. Right. And I say that because I can still be selfish. I'm no no angel by no means. But I would rather for all of us to succeed than for me to succeed. If, if, if I had a million dollars and everybody else was poor and had nothing, I want to share that with them. Mm-hmm. If I had a, a if I had the fountain of youth, right, I wouldn't just keep it for myself. I'd share with other people because go back to what I said earlier. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. It's the right thing to do. So I really do have other people's interests at heart. I, I do believe I, I. I'm a good father right? Although my son that live with me, I think we have a great relationship and he knows that I'll do anything for him. My family knows that as well. It kind of goes back to, you know, me wanting everybody to, to succeed. Um, I think the other thing that makes me a good person is, even though answering the question is probably not going <laughs> to be this, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty humble. I've been blessed, man. I've had an opportunity to travel this world a number of times. I've had the opportunity to do some freaking amazing things in life. And I don't think I'm done yet. Right. But even then, I don't brag about it. I don't boast about it. I don't go thump in my chest and say, Hey, have you ever done this? That's not what it's about for me. It's about experiencing what this, you know, what God's created for us to interact with and for us to see that unless we, we appreciate it and, and strive for it, it can easily go away. So I, I think me wanting to put others before me, me being somewhat humble makes me a pretty good guy. Um, and I love God, right? I mean, a lot of what I do is centered around that. I pray every morning. Believe it or not, I pray for you at night, right? I I got a, a kind of a prayer that I say every night, and and one of those things I talk about is friends that I consider family, right? In my prayer, and and you're one of those guys. Like I said earlier, man, you're 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 a friend, but I consider you like a little brother, man. So, Thank you. um, I hope nothing but the best for you. And what makes me a good person is I I got that in my back. I got God behind me. And I try to look at life for what it is, which is it's meant to be lived. It's not meant to be put in a box and stay in the box. Freaking kick that box down, build your own. And don't let anybody tell you what you can or cannot do. Because remember, you're no better or worse than anybody else. That's right. Well,
0: Lee, I can't say enough good things about you, man. I mean, you are, you've been nothing but a extremely positive and great mentor in my life and giving me opportunities when other people wouldn't and just your insightfulness and willingness to help and provide and overall helping others grow when it's oftentimes not the easiest thing to do. I know I'm kind of a hardhead sometimes and uh i'm aware of that but 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 taking me under your wing and offering your wise words i mean it really does mean the world to me and coming on this podcast and sharing your your lessons and your life and your experiences well is not only gonna be something that i cherish but i i hope that the people who listen to this can also take some things away Um because i think you have some really Insightful things to offer. And uh, I mean, uh, I just can't say enough good things about you. So I really, really do appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, I look forward to seeing you again. I, I want to come back to Raleigh. I'll be back there at some point this year, but for permanently, I think I, I really do want to settle back down in Raleigh because uh, yeah. it is a great place with great people. And uh, ultimately, I'd like to come back.
1: Cool deal, man. Like I said earlier, anything I can help out with for you. You let me know. Phone call away. we Will do. Same
0: thing for me. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Say we gon' be all right. Alright. all right We gon' be all right. You say we gon' be all right.